I want to read from Jeremiah chapter 31. Let, you know what? Let's do it in chronological order. We'll read from uh, Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Now, this is like a traditional reading of, of during Shavuot in, in the, uh, amongst our Jewish brothers and sisters. We'll read this first, and then we'll go into Jeremiah 31. Then we'll go into Acts chapter 2. And I want to show you guys, there's a, there's a very interesting thing that I actually just ran across, and it's in the it's in the Midrash. It's something I have never actually I've never heard any pastor, I've never heard any Christian, never even heard any Messianic or any Hebrew roots person ever, ever point this out before. Maybe one of you guys have. I have never heard it. And I just actually ran across it uh just last night, actually, in just doing some research about this topic. So I want to get to that. But let's start out first with Exodus chapter 19. We'll read Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 31, Acts chapter 2, and this particular passage, which is uh, Shemot Rabbah, uh, Rabbah. Okay, so I want to I want to read that as well. It's just an amazing connection between. Well, I'll get to it. It's just it's it's very very interesting. So let's see if this works. If I share my screen, um, hopefully this will work. Exodus chapter nineteen, verse one. Now maybe I should make this a little bit bigger for you guys. Verse one. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out from the la- out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they sent, when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, "This is what." You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you and brought you to myself. Now then, if you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words that you, sh- you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people of the Lord, excuse me, brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, uh, let me just stop here for a second, because this is interesting, because it's almost like God didn't know. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's almost as if, like, you, why would Moses have to bring the words of the people back to the Lord if the Lord already knew, if, if God already, you know, is everywhere at all times and hears everything and knows everything, why would Moses have to be the messenger between the people and the Lord? Just, 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 you know, just saying, just asking. Verse nine, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and, and, and may also trust in you forever. 
Okay. Uh, then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Okay. So this particular uh, uh, concept right here is 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 I I believe it's one of the most important concepts in the Torah, and that is that God uh, said to Moses, you know, basically I, I'm going to I'm going to appear to you. I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you. In other words, so that you you will be, you know, you will be um, credible. The people will not question whether you are, you know, is it, you know, uh, you're talking about the Lord here. Is it just a figment of your imagination? Is it, you know, uh, are you a true prophet? No, the people heard. So the people witnessed it. This is the big, this is a big point here. The people witnessed God's encountering Moses. People, everybody saw it. So the people may hear when I speak with you and may also trust in you forever. So in other words, God's like, okay, Moses, I'm going to give you credibility in the eyes of the people. I, I'm going to certify you. Maybe that's not the right, right way to put it. But I'm going to I'm going to prove to the people that you are trustworthy and that you are a true prophet because they will witness it themselves, me conversing with you, me coming to you, me talking to you. Verse 10. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and Consecrate them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their garments, and have them ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight in the sight of all the people. Okay, again. But you shall set bound for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up to the mountain or or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the, touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall certainly be stoned or shot through, whether animal or person. The violator, the violator shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He also said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound. That had been like the ram's horn shofar. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the entire mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Then the Lord came down on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people, so that they do not 
break, break through to the Lord to stare. And many of them perish. Also have the priests who approach the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said, Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against him. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or, or heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. Excuse me, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing favor to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commands, keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male slave or your female slave or your cattle or your resident who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and everything that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. For that reason, the Lord blessed the seventh, the Sabbath day and made it holy. Notice how it's, it's like God wants, like, like, be holy for I am holy. Like, like f- do what I do, basically. It's like, that's what I get out of that. Um, like, follow the Lord. Follow him. He rests on the Sabbath day. We should. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be prolonged on the land which the Lord your God gives you. 13. You shall not murder. And actually, this is a lot better translation than thou shalt not kill. Um, There's a difference. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male slave, or his female slave, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people were watching and hearing the thunder and lightning flashes. Again, we got all the people, all the people witnessing it. And the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. When the, and when the people saw it all, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. However, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you. 
so that you will not sin. Right? The fear of the Lord is to hate all evil, right? So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where, where God was. Then the, then the Lord said to Moses, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not yourselves. You shall not, or excuse me, you shall make an altar of earth for me. You shall sacrifice, excuse me, you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you, and if you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you wield your chisel on it, it will profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Okay. All right. So, um, We'll go on over to Jeremiah chapter 30. So Exodus chapter 20, I got it right here. Thank you. Thank you very much, Onia. I got it right here. Exodus chapter 20 on the left, the left column is the um, uh, Samaritan. The right column is the um, Jewish Masoretic text. You know, so the first few, several verses is pretty much the same. But once we get down here, uh, so in the Samaritan, it says, keep the Sabbath day. Masoretic says, remember the Sabbath day. That's the difference. Um, verse 10, and the seventh day, this is in the Samaritan. And the seventh day is a Sabbath of Shema, your Elohim. Uh, in it, you shall not do any work or your son or your daughter, your male or female slave or your cattle or your proselyte uh, who stays in your gates. Uh, but the Masoretic says, uh, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto Adonai thy Elohim. In other words, the, the Lord your God. Um, you shall not do any manner of work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor, and not your beast, nor uh, your stranger that is within your gates. Okay, so it's a little bit different there. Um, so for verse 14 in the Samaritan, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your, your neighbor his field and, and, and wife, or his male slave, or his female slave, his bull, and his donkey, or anything that belongs to you, uh, your neighbor. Compare that with the uh, uh, Masoretic, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and not his male slave, nor his maidservant, nor his bull, nor his ass, or nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now here's where the big differences come in. Uh, verse 14, a um a through 14 what is this h and it's not found in the masoretic at all 
Same with 16, 16A. So that's not found in the Masoretic at all. Same with 18, 18A through 18M. That's not found in the Masoretic. So lots of differences there. Um, all right. Let me see. Let's read these differences. We'll read, we'll read the parts that's not in the Masoretic. And when Shema, your, your LOM, will bring you to the land of the Canaanite, which you, which you are going to inherit it, uh, you, shall set, you shall set up great stones and lime them with lime, and you shall write on them all the words of this law. And when you have passed over the Jordan, or the Jordan, you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, in our Gerizim, or this is to be the Mount of Gerizim, uh, Mount, Ger Mount Gerizim, Mount Gerizim. And there you shall build an altar to Shema, your Elohim, uh, an altar of stones. You shall not lift up no iron on them. You shall, and you shall build the altar of Shema, your Elohim, of complete stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings, therefore, or thereupon, uh, to Shema, your Elohim. And you shall sacrifice offerings and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before Shema, your Elohim. That mountain in the other side of the yard and beyond the way toward the sunset in the land of the Canaanite, who dwell in the prairie before the Gogol, uh, beside the Alone Mora before Ashkem. Okay, so all that is. Not found in the Masoretic. Verse 16. So the Masoretic says in verse 16, and and they said unto Moses, You speak with us, and and we will hear. Let not Elohim speak with us lest we die. All right. So um so Basically, they were saying that, uh, Moses, you go speak to Elohim. You go speak to God. Uh, we, don't, we, we can't hear God anymore or else we die. Um, so in the Samaritan, it says, Surely Shema, our Elohim, this would be equivalent to Elohim, um, has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that Elohim speaks with man. Yet he still lives. And now why should we die for this great fire will consume us? If we hear the voice of Shema our Elohim anymore, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living Elohim speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived. You go near and hear all that Shema our Elohim may say, and tell us all that Shema our Elohim says to you, and we will hear and do it. Verse 17. 
Okay. Another big difference is verse 18. There's a lot more added to, a lot more added to the uh, Samaritan. And Shema spoke to Moshe saying, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Who will wish that they had that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and all the days keep my commandments, that it will that it will be well unto them and unto their children forever. See that that's the purpose of the Torah right there. Um, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I will command him. And it, and it shall be that the man who will not hear his words, which he will speak in my name, I will require it from him. So this is like all basically from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18, right? It's all from Deuteronomy 18. But the prophet who will dare with malignity to speak a word on my behalf, which I have not commanded him to speak, and he speaks on behalf of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how will it be known the word which Shema has not spoken? That that the prophet speaking on behalf of Shema, the thing the thing will not happen and will not come. This is a thing which Shema has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it in malignity. You shall not be afraid of him. Go say to them, return to your tents. And you stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, and they will do so in the land which I am giving them to inherit. Okay, so there is just a few more minor differences, um, but that is that is significant difference. Like it's, it looks like they cut, talk about cut and paste. You know, they cut uh, Deuteronomy eighteen out and pasted right there in uh, in Exodus chapter twenty. Very interesting. Very interesting. So God, the word God in the in the uh, English is usually translated from the word Elohim in the Hebrew. Now, if you want to take it in a very, very literal sense, the word Elohim means gods, uh, or as our Jewish people would say, like the powers uh, that be that... Um, so there are different, and this is how I have I have seen it so far. Th- there are different points of view, right? You can you can view God as God. You can view Elohim as God, right? So this is a very very distant way of viewing Him, um, calling Him Elohim or God. As I said before, um, when 
Yeshua was on the cross, he didn't say father anymore. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, the passage in Luke, when they were crucifying him and he's like, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There is a, uh, there's like a footnote there usually that that's not, that's not found in some manuscripts at all. So they, they believe that that was added later, which means it could not, it may not even be accurate may not even be true that he said father forgive them for they know not what to do we we talked about that several times before so there are different relationships uh, how i see it there are different relationships that a person can have with god the most distant relationship being not even believing in god at all i suppose um but apart from that is just calling him god um and then there's the covenant relationship which is, uh, instead of calling him Elohim alone, you call him Yahweh Elohim, or the Lord, okay? That is, it's the same God, it's just a different relationship. It's like, to, to one person you can be a brother, to another person you can be a father, to another person you can be a son. Um, depending on your relationship, to another person you can be an, an, an employee, Depending on your relationship to another person, you can be a neighbor. Does that mean there are? Does that mean there are twelve different different people? No, it's all the same person, just different ways of, just different names, different uh, points of view, different r- relationships. So we got something like, for example, in Exodus chapter three, where uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter six. Uh, verse 1, then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, now you will see that uh, what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Uh, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. Okay. Now, if you, you look up the story, right, then uh, you'll see that God, Elohim. This is talking about Elohim. So the Lord said, I appeared to uh, Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord or Yahweh, Yahuwah, I did not make myself fully known to them. So they didn't have that covenant relationship. So again, I don't want to get into too much detail here, but this is how, this is, this is how, I mean, if you, you gotta, when it comes to these kind of things, like it reminds me of like how Muslims view God versus how Christians view God. Um, it's like you call Muslims would call him Allah, whereas Christians would call him God. Does that mean there are two gods? I don't think so. I think it's the same person, just looking at it from different points of view, different interpretations, or different filters put through. Like the um, the whole idea of Quran talking about Allah, uh, whereas um, you got the typical Christian Bible talking about God, just different names for the same, the same thing, the same person. In fact, uh, I understand that in some places in the East and in Syria and around that area and some other places over in the East, uh, Christian churches, especially those who are, uh, speaking, uh, Syriac or, um, Aramaic or Arabic, uh, they never say God in church. They always say Allah. They, they, they would be worshiping Allah. 
but Christians, Christians worshiping Allah. Uh, so it's just a different, to me, it's like, uh, you've got, like, say, you've got um, Edward and, and Gerald. Edward and Gerald talk about Timothy. Gerald says Timothy is a nice guy. Edward says he's an idiot. Does that mean they're talking about two different um, Timothys? No, they're talking about the same Timothy, just two different points of view, completely points, different points of view, but they're talking about the same guy. So that's, that's how I view it. Again, without getting into too much detail, um, I would highly recommend if there's any doubt regarding you know what we're talking about look it up look it up right um yeah again that deserves its whole entire different video but that's you know that is that's as much as i understand it um it's just a different name for the same person because of a different relationship um Okay, so let's get into Jeremiah chapter 31. And thank you, for Onia, for pointing out um, Samaritan. Very interesting differences there in the Samaritan for sure. So last night, by the way, last night we had a uh, we had Dr. Jason A. Staples with us. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, this is another one of those videos you have to go back to listen to it time and again to really get the fullness of everything that uh, Jason was saying. Uh, and again, for those of you who are uh, who don't have this book, I, I would recommend getting this book. If you do get this book, um, please let Jason know that you that you listen that you saw him on uh, uh, on our live stream and that you ordered his book. I you know I know that he's a busy man and. Uh, as a as an assistant professor, I think it would be very good for him to uh, to be aware of uh, of, uh, of a fruitful night uh, last night, uh, both for us and and for him as well, and, and to show us show him appreciation by by ordering his book and reading it, and um, yeah, it, it's um, absolutely amazing. Let's get into Jeremiah chapter thirty one. I'm going to start out by reading from verse 27 verse 27 behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will sow the house of israel and the house of judah with the seed of mankind and the seed of animals and just as i have watched over them to uproot them tear them down ruin destroy and bring disaster on them, so I will watch over them to build and to plant them, declares the Lord. Now, let me just stop here for a second and say, what does this mean to, you know, sit with the seed of animals? I believe that uh, Jason spoke about this last night. Um, animals um, very well could be here representing uh, Gentile nations. Right, because we have this throughout the uh, the scriptures, in the Tanakh, uh, and also in the extra biblical works, such as the Book of Enoch, that refers to the Gentiles in various forms of uh, symbolically um, uh, portrayed through different animals. Verse twenty nine. In those days, they will no longer say, "The fathers have eaten sour grapes," but it is the children's teeth that have become but everyone will die for his for his own wrongdoing 
each person who eats the sour grapes, his own teeth will become blunt. In other words, you'll be responsible for what you do. Right? No one else is going to pay for your sin. You are going to you are going to be responsible for what you do. And if you are sowing righteousness, so to speak, you will reap that reward. Uh, you will you will be uh, you will be rewarded for your righteousness uh, with blessings, or you will be rewarded for your wickedness with with cursings. Verse thirty one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So there goes this idea that, hey, you know what? Um, I'm a Gentile. Therefore, it's not, um, you know, I'm a Gentile. It's not, uh, you know, the, the Torah is not for me. That's only for the Israelites, or that's only for the Jews. Well, if you say that you're not part of, the, if you're not an Israelite or you're not a Jew, then the new covenant's not for you either. New Testament's not for you either. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, my covenant which they broke. Okay, so this is what we just read about in Exodus chapter 19 and verse uh, chapter 20. Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart. My law here being my Torah. I will put my Torah in within them and write it on their heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin I will, rem I will no longer remember. Okay, so here is, here's the thing. The difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant is not law. The difference is where the law is, the, med the medium of the law. Like, for example, uh, I've made this example uh, several times before. Um, I'm sure some of you that are watching and some of, the, some of you that are watching the replay on this will, uh, will not, this might be before your time, but there was a time when uh, you could go to the store and buy a cassette tape. Can you imagine? Buy a cassette tape of your favorite musical artist, band, whatever the case is. And uh, yeah, I remember some, I remember those days, you know, you can buy a cassette tape or, you know, later on you, you could buy a, a CD. Okay. Uh, now you don't do that, right? Now you, you get it streamed right to your device or you can, you can purchase it. Uh, you can purchase a, a, an MP3 or something like that in that regard, or you can purchase a whole album, MP3 album. It's more, I think it's going more streaming nowadays, but, but this is the thing. You can, let's just say, for example, Band X. We'll just call Band X. You can have a cassette tape of Band X, their, their first album, with all of their songs on that cassette tape. But today you can download a digital version of that. You can download a digital, di a digitally uh, remastered 
album in in it's the same music it's the same album it's the same songs with the same lyrics albeit it's probably a little bit better quality better quality in sound but it's all the same so this is this is what it's like with the difference between the old testament and new testament the old testament being god's torah written on stone whereas the new testament is god's torah written on your heart it's the same song so to speak it's the same lyrics it's the same word it's the same law it's just written or recorded on a different medium okay so a lot of people they confuse covenant with law you can have there are actually many covenants and we all it's the same torah okay one Torah, many covenants. And so, covenant is not Torah. Torah is not necessarily covenant either. Uh, so, as typically believed, especially in the Christian world, we have that particular passage. Jeremiah chapter 31 is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Here we are, day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the day of Shavuot. I, I, I got to think to myself, I was thinking about this earlier. You know, a lot of Christians today, oh, we don't have to go by the feast days. Oh, it's not New Testament. You know, that's Old Testament. Well, look at this. This is, this is the New Testament church, and they were celebrating Shavuot. They were celebrated. When the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, I'm going to say something I know that's very controversial. I know some people might get you know, have, uh, many different opinions. I, I, I understand this. Uh, there has been people who have claimed to have witnessed a very similar event like this in different meetings and churches. Uh, there was one such event that happened relatively recently. Now, I'm not, I mean, within the past, I don't know, 20 years, I, I'm just guessing, uh, up in northern Canada, I believe it was, there was a church uh, with a, a bunch of uh, a, a whole lot of people that were attending this church, and all of a sudden there was a great, uh, a, a great noise, sounded like almost like a uh, just a roar of a wind, and everybody. Like, you can actually look this up, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's false. I'm just, I'm just making people aware that there are times when people have claimed to have experienced the same kind of thing. A great noise. They even have it on tape, and they even have all the witnesses that were there. They say they're like the whole church was there, and they said this is all legit. You know, they shut the the sound system off. It wasn't the sound system. You know, they pulled it. They pulled it all down. All you know, they have witnesses to say this is what it was. Um, basically, the same kind of thing, where a, 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 a noise of a just a great uh, mighty wind just uh, blew through the place. 
and so this is what we read here in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, uh, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to show you guys something I find to be extremely interesting. Again, I've never heard any... I've never heard anybody make the connection the way I'm going to make the connection in just a moment. Never heard any pastor, never heard any rabbi, never heard any messianic rabbi, never heard any Hebrew roots person ever mention what I'm going to what I'm going to show you guys. Now maybe they have, I just never heard it. Um however, I did run across this in in looking at some Jewish material last night. And I thought, "Wow, this is amazing." So I'm going to show you guys. So um, so hang in there just a moment. I'll read the rest of Acts chapter two, and I'll show you what I came across. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So let me just recap here. And they were, this is verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as tongues here, meaning languages, right? Languages, um, tongues is actually like an old English word. Uh, simply means languages, um, as the Spirit was giving them the, the ability to speak out. Now, there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, of course, this wouldn't be I know, in a hyper-literal sense. This wouldn't be Jews from you know, the proto-Aztecs you know, of Central America. No, of course not. So it's not every nation under heaven, but rather basically what this means is uh there were jews from all over the place you know generally speaking verse six and when this sound occurred the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language so they're like wait a second we're from all over the like all over the world, so to speak. We're from all over the different nations. We, we all come from different places that, you know, are maybe our mother tongue might not be Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, but how come all of these people, you know, e each one of us are hearing other brothers and sisters that we know do not know our language speaking our language, speaking the language, speaking languages that we can understand. Perhaps, I'm just saying perhaps, these Jews that were there from, quote-unquote, every nation, uh, perhaps they didn't understand each other. Maybe they didn't understand the, the uh, you know, James or Peter when they were, you know, doing their service, or they didn't understand the uh, disciples when they were praying. Uh, maybe, maybe there was this language disconnect, okay? But when the Spirit came, according to Acts chapter 2, the Spirit gave the disciples the ability to speak in languages they have never learned, speaking the languages of the other people that were also in, in attendance there so that they could understand. Right? You know, let's say there was, you know, some, you know, 
remote place in Africa that someone came from and they came all the way up to Jerusalem and they had, you know, they didn't know, they didn't understand their language. But when the spirit came, the spirit of God gave one of the believers the ability to speak in that language so that that person can understand them. And by the way, there are, again, take it for what it is, believe it or not, uh, there are many instances, and I'm not talking about just the Pentecostal charismatic world. I'm talking about even the Roman Catholic world for that matter. And, and it, there are many different instances of, of times throughout the past 2000 years when people have claimed to have been overcome by the spirit or uh, overcome in the presence of God. And they were able to, they were in a, a different country, for example, a different nation, or they were talking to someone else that couldn't understand them. And all of a sudden, boom, God gave them the language to speak. And they spoke the language that they've never learned before. So that the, the other person could understand. There are testimonies of this happening actually many times in the past 2000 years. And again, this is not just Pentecost. You know, I think that a lot of the Pentecostal stuff is actually fabricated tongues to be honest with you but there is i do believe that there that there is um true this this very miracle has happened and can happen you know for reasons that god in his sovereign will um in his sovereignty uh rules that they you know uh it should happen. So I do believe that it can and has happened. Legit, you know, since Acts chapter 2. Um, but there's a lot of abuse of it for sure. Absolutely. Um, verse 7. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Why are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Uh, but others were jeering and saying, they are full of sweet wine. And they are full of new wine. In other words, they're all drunk. Um, okay, so I'm going to skip Peter's sermon for now. I might come back to it. But this is the thing. Shemot Rabbah in the Midrash. Okay, Shemot Rabbah, chapter 5, verse 9. Now, this is Jewish text. Okay, this is not Christian text at all. Jewish text. Get this. This is amazing. Rabbi Yochanan said, Rabbi Yochanan said, the voice would go out. Now, this is talking about the voice of God on Mount Sinai. 
Okay, this is talking about the voice of God on Mount Sinai, the first Shavuot, as it were, the first Pentecost, as it were. Okay, Rabbi Yochanan said the voice would go out and divide into 70 voices for the 70 languages. And what, what, someone might say, well, what does that, what do you mean 70 languages? We see in those days, it was commonly believed and understood that there are 70 major languages in the world. Someone, someone could also say that, that that phrase, 70 languages, can mean, it can be like a, a, um, a figure of speech that means every language of the world. Every language that was spoken on earth in those days, okay? So the voice would go out, let me just go back, the voice would go out and divide into 70 voices for 70 languages so that all the nations would hear and each and every nation would hear in the language of the nation and the soul and their souls would depart okay so it doesn't that sound very much like acts chapter 2 where it's like they were all there from different parts of the world, and they all heard the believers, the disciples, and the others that joined them speaking in their own language. That's exactly what it says here in Shemot Rabbah chapter 5, verse 9. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. So it's like, if this is, you know, if this is what it, it purports to be, uh, Shemot, meaning Exodus Rabbah, chapter 5, verse 9, this Jewish text telling us that on Mount Sinai, for the giving of the law, uh, when they heard the voice of God spoken of in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20, when they heard the voice of God, when all the peoples heard the voice of God, remember, all the peoples were not just the Jews. They were not just the Israelites. They were the mixed multitude among them, right? Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. There were, it was, there were many people there from many different languages or many different nations and probably speaking many different languages. But according to this, again, this is not, this is not Christian. So this is what makes me just absolutely, I'm just amazed at this because according to this, it was basically like, an upper room experience they had. It was basically like Acts chapter 2 back in on the Mount, um, on Mount Sinai. The same thing. They all heard the voice of God speaking in their own language so that they could understand, just like how they did in Acts chapter 2. People from all over, all the peoples, the mixed multitude were there, and they heard now in Acts chapter two, you might not you might not say the voice of God directly, but basically the voice of God prophesying through these people in their own language. To me, that's just absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. Okay, so let's. Um, so that's that's really that's 
when I wanted to read scripture uh, on my heart, I will get into the uh, get into the comments here, and we will. Um, so Onia says, Jubilees for Shavuot su- suggests Shavuot is deeper than the giving of, law, of the law on Mount Sinai. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I've always been, I've always said that the law, I believe, was, there was not a time, there was not a, like, one point in time that it was actually given. I believe it was, you know, it already, it always has existed, just that different people in different times basically drew from that law. Like, Abel drew from that law. Cain did, but he didn't. He didn't do a good job fulfilling it. Um, Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah. Uh, I believe it's like it's it's the same basic, the same pot as it were, uh, the same reservoir of the quote unquote Torah, just whatever what applied to them, giving the circumstances that they were under. Uh, Jubilees connects it to God's covenant with Noah, and not uh, to not flood the earth again, and to keep the Noahide covenant. Very interesting. And it says the angels kept Shavuot before any man in in the beginning of time. I believe it. I believe it. You know, I've always said, you know, I just said it, but I mean, like, I believe the Torah is eternal. I don't think there's a there's a beginning to it or an end of it. And I don't think when it comes to, I know there's a lot of people that talk about the you know the, the law of Moses, the law of Moses. Okay. I hardly ever use that term because I think it can be misleading the way, at least the way it's used today. Because I think the law of Moses is the is the Torah that applied to him in that circumstance. Being the law of Noah was the Torah, the same Torah that applied to him in his circumstance and in his day. Uh, that's how I see it. Uh, 1 John says, so the New Testament Pentecost was given on the same day as the law was given, the anniversary of, of being given the law. Yes, absolutely. And this is the thing too, yeah. Uh, I didn't mention this, but this is true. Uh, and then we have Shavuot is the first of three first fruits festivals the Torah speaks of. So Shavuot is especially focused on the first fruits. Yes, absolutely. Um, Fearfully confident, isn't God in Aramaic? Allah, yes. That's one of the ways of, yeah. In Aramaic, there are different ways, different forms of, excuse me, of the word God, but yes, that is. Fearfully confident says Muslims have more respect for Torah than Christians. And I believe that's why they are going, that's, I believe that's the reason why they are um, advanced. Like God is blessing them. They are because of that. And Christianity is on the way out because of that. Phil, Phil uh, Chavez, I'm not sure what what your comment, what you're talking about there in your live chat. I don't know if anybody knows. Fearfully Confident says, if the prayers of the lawless are an abomination, Proverbs 28.9, then does that mean a person... If Christians offer to pray for us, should we tell them no thanks? Uh, to me, it's like if Christians pray for you, if if they are, or let me just put it this way: if the lawless pray for you, uh, it's an okay. So according to Proverbs twenty-eight verse nine, if the lawless pray for you, that prayer is an abomination to God. 
but that has nothing to do with you. That's just between them and God. So I, I wouldn't say no thanks to that. Um, to me, it's like if they're lawless, if they're not, you know, if they're not in the right place with God, it's like, well, God won't hear them anyway. So it just, you know, uh, it's, it's to their own, um, you know, it's their own problem, for lack of a better way of putting it. Thank you, uh, Fearfully Confident, for asking that. <laughs> if the passages were taken from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy fills in that very event with these dialogues. Notice, he said seed and not seeds. I'm going to have to just go into, um, primarily into live chat that has at Christopher on it, because there's so much here to get into. I'm not going to be, be able to get into them all. Um, fearfully confident is Jeremiah 31 negating Christian doctrine that Jesus died for our sins. Where did this doctrine start? That's a heavy question. Um, I believe that doctrine started later on in perhaps like New Testament days because like we have, for example, like for example, um, so the idea that Jesus died for our sins and that, you know, he like freely gave up his life for all of us. Uh, I'm just, just want to, lay this out there like that jesus just like he loves he loves us so much that he just like just freely just laid down his life for us um that we see that in the in the writings of paul i believe first chronologically speaking the writings of paul first uh, later on we see that in the gospel of john now there are some allusions to that in the other gospels but not like the gospel of john let me explain like so um in the letters of paul we know paul makes that he he builds that case quite strongly the gospels matthew mark and luke the synoptic gospels doesn't say hardly anything about that concept at all with the exception of perhaps the last supper where Jesus said, this is the blood of my new covenant shed for you. But that's about it. But even in the, the, uh, in regards to the book of Luke, the book of Luke's account of it, they say that that particular portion, uh, according to some scholars, has been added in there. It's not part of the original. And I'm not talking about the Matthew or Mark, but, that, but Luke in spe uh, specifically. Uh, John, we see... <laughs> John, we see Jesus being freely, freely and like just very, very willing to lay down his life. It makes a very, the gospel of John makes a very strong case of Jesus loves us so much. You know, no love has, you know, no love, uh, how's it? No greater love has any man than this, that, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so, you know, all this kind of stuff in the gospel of John. 
which paints the picture that Jesus was like, just like, he loves you so much. He just, he, without thinking twice, he'll just lay his life down for you. But, um, I mean, let's, I'm just going to look this up before I say it because I want to make sure I'm accurate here. Do we see that kind of attitude in the synoptic gospels? Do we see a Jesus who is like, man, I love you so much. I know, no, no way am I ever going to even second, you know, even doubt the idea or even want to even not lay my, lay my life down because, hey, it's, it's all because of my love for you. Um, but in Matthew, in Luke, or in Mark, especially, you know, we have him trying to pray his way out of it. Like, Father, you know, take take this cup from me. I don't want to die. Basically, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to go to the cross. Um, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, he was looking for a way out of it. Um, even telling in one of the Gospels. Now, which one was it? Mark. Uh, let me see a second. Just want to be, I just want to be accurate here. Luke, it was Luke, where he even told his disciples, even said to them, go and buy a sword. I mean, get ready for a battle. Get ready for a fight, guys. Now, you know that, you know, the idea then, uh, Peter had a sword and cut off the, the high priest servant's right ear, right? So is that a picture of Jesus who was just, like just loves so much, it loves everybody so much that he's willing to lay down his life for his friends? Or is that is that a picture of a Jesus who is not so into giving his life up like how the Gospel of John puts it? I'm just presenting this to you guys. So, I mean, And there's, I'm sure we can we can mine more uh, uh, truth out of the gospels in this way, talking along this lines. You know, I'm sure we can talk more. We can we can go deeper into this subject. Somebody has, I somebody even argue. I've heard an argument saying, well, he didn't really, he didn't like. It was actually he, uh, you know, it was the Romans that arrested him and um you know he could have you know i mean there's there's people who who could say well he could have turned himself in or he could have done you know could have been a different way that he could have laid his life down it seems like uh, so uh, the long the long and the short of it is it seems like that doctrine started with paul and concretized in the gospel of john we don't see so much of it in the other gospels or in um yeah i'm just trying to think of the other books where other like what other new testament books that we see it and we do have some a little bit here and there uh but not like the, the writings of paul or the gospel of john which it seems like that idea was there at least from 50 AD around there, maybe even a little bit before that forwards, which would have been like 20 years after his death. And that's a long time, actually. 
Um, so, I wouldn't at this point in time. I wouldn't go so far as to say that Jeremiah thirty-one is is negating that. I think that people could argue otherwise, but um, I think it's important to understand the his, the history of that doctrine. And as, as far as where did this doctrine start, that's as far as I I see it. Um, uh, let me just check one thing out. I mean, you look up the, the term like died for our sins. I mean, as far as the, the actual phrase goes, it's only once in the New Testament. I mean, I know people could argue that this, you know, the concept is there, but uh, consider it today. Like today we have so many Christians who are like, they're always using this, you know, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died for my, you know, Jesus died for our sins. Uh, they, 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 they parrot that a lot. Whereas, uh, where do you see that in the New Testament, like spoken of like that, like in that kind of phraseology? As far as I see, it's only First Corinthians fifteen, in in that kind of direct sense. Very good question. Fearfully confident. David says, "Shabbat shalom, brethren. Shabbat shalom, David. Welcome." Dead Sea Scrolls says it doesn't say it doesn't quite say in the passage how the covenant will not be like the one made before. So uh, so different perspectives of interpretation are possible due to the ambiguity of the text. Yeah. This is a very interesting concept, Onia. God seems very private in his miracles. I think he'd refuse to do a miracle if he knew he if he knew it would be shared on social media and go viral. And that's a very interesting concept. Very interesting. Because you got a lot of people like in, I just mentioned like the charismatic or Pentecostal corner of Christianity. They have, uh, you know, they like to uh, push it a lot, right? Like, you know, like... Even if you're, even if you had like a slight miracle happen to you, you know, come up and share it, share it to everybody. And this also brings me to the back to the um, the idea and the thoughts of how Jesus behaved in the book in the in the Gospel of Mark compared to something like the Gospel of John. Again, so it's a stark contrast between the two because the gospel of Mark is more like this. God seems to be very private in his miracles. Jesus is like saying over and over again, don't tell anybody, keep it quiet, keep it under the raid. You know, just don't, you know, we want to keep everything low key here. Like keep it as a, as a secret. I don't want anybody to know. Don't tell anybody. So it seems like a very quiet kind of guy in Mark, whereas in the Gospel of, of John, he's like this, I am the great, I, you know, I am the, the, the resurrection and the life, I am this, I am that, I am, I am just, you know, 
I'm the answer for everything. All your need. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, before Abraham was, I am. He seems to be so much more um, bold. I mean, I don't, that's not even the right word for it. He just seems to be so out outspoken. It's not even the right word for it either. If you know what I mean, it seems to be like a, a totally different personality if you compare the two in that way. <laughs> perfectly confident this is good because you know this this is this will get people thinking you say stuff like this god's covenant isn't with the christian church or, or a christian religion well yeah i mean you see in 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 jeremiah chapter 31 it's like you know behold the new covenant is with what the christians with the with the house of israel right with the house of judah so I think that's, you know, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. So getting people to think anyway. It reminds me of, you know, years ago I met this uh, Messianic rabbi and he was uh, sharing with me. He said, you know, a lot of people don't think, you know, when they get to the New Jerusalem, what gate are they going to enter enter in by? I think it's a good, that's a good point. Excuse me, because you got like, 12 gates, one gate for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you get these people, a lot of these Christians, right? They're like, well, I, you know, I'm not a Jew or I'm not an Israelite. I'm a Gentile. And they, they, they sever themselves off from Israel or Israelite. The, the whole idea of that, uh, what, there, there's no Gentile gate. There's no Gentile gate in the New Jerusalem. Uh, Revelation, uh, for those of you who are wondering, I know some people be like, hey, where do you, where do you, what are you talking about? Revelation chapter 21, verse 12. Revelation chapter 21, verse 12, and she, speaking of the New Jerusalem, basically, uh, for those of you, are, again, if you're a new, if you're a newbie, uh, the New Jerusalem is basically the final frontier. It's the it's the uh, um, it's the last stop. Okay. Uh, also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the twelve gates, and the names and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the twelve of the children of Israel. Right. So. What gate are they going to use? Pamela. Welcome, Pamela. Shalom. Uh, think that church is in Edmonton here. We'll see if if I can find info on it. Oh, so you think, oh, that church that I, met, that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Uh, looked years ago, but didn't see anything. Um, from what I remember... From what I remember, it was like way up in the middle of like Nunavut or something like that. It was like way up in the middle of nowhere from what I remember. But I mean, it, I, you might have. Yeah, I think you, if I can remember right too, there is, there was something about Edmonton. There might've been a different, yeah, just kind of speaking off the top of my head here, but very interesting. Yeah. If you can find info on that, that would be amazing. 
Perfectly confident, what level of importance would you think learning biblical Hebrew would be? I think that it's very important, especially at least a basic knowledge of it. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not like an expert in Hebrew uh, yet. (laughs) So Lord willing, uh, I'm learning as well as we go along. But uh, I think that a basic, uh, a basic knowledge of it is, is, is definitely, um, definitely needed for sure. Very important. I do believe this is true. Uh, One John, uh, Jesus never started a new church. He was bringing people back to the true Torah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, When he said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. I don't think that it was, I don't believe that he was talking about a new church, his ecclesia. Oh, this is something I, I was, I was, I thought I was going to ask Jason last night, but I didn't ask him. And that is the word ecclesia in uh in new testament times all was actually referring to like uh, israel and not to a new church um and had like jewish uh, overtones to it as well so the word ecclesia which is translated church in most of the new testament uh is not a new concept at all it, well actually in acts chapter 7 it talks about the church the ecclesia the some translations say assembly or congregation, but it's ecclesia. Uh, the church existed way back in, in, in Moses' day. In the wilderness with Moses, as it says in Exodus chapters, or excuse me, Acts chapter 7. Did I say Exodus before? Acts chapter 7. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that Jesus started a new church. And when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The word build there, if you look it up, it's actually... It actually refers to edifying something that's already in existence. Uh, It's like building up. It's like um, restoring or, you know, just fortifying what's already there, not building something new. I think that's very important. This is very interesting. I know this is not directed towards me, but I the, uh, fearfully confident asked Corey what brought you out of being Trinitarian, and his answer was reading the Bible for myself. We like we emphasize this so much. Like read the Bible for yourself, and and it's so easy to to fall into error, like to to listen to. You know, to fall into the, as I call the modern corrupt Christian narrative, it's so easy to get into that, to to buy into all the cliches from the church, you know, because it's just like, that's what it is. It's like just, just a pocket full of cliches. It's so easy to do that, but it's so hard to get rid of them because those cliches build, talk about build, it's like build a, it's, it, it's like fabric that, it's part of the fabric of 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 the doctrine. Uh, so once you realize that most, if not all, of these cliches are not true at all, you know, it takes a while. Like even even myself, it took like decades for me to really go through it all and to really see the truth of what the scriptures actually teach, what 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 even historical evidence actually shows us. Uh, really, just to get a good grip on evidence what can, what constitutes good evidence good critical thinking 
The interpretation, Jesus loves you. Yeah. So you read, uh, you know, I'm not talking to you, Oni. I know, but uh, yeah. But some people say, like, I remember having a guy over to uh, to my to my place, right? This was several years ago. There's this guy that came over and he's like this kind of guy. He's like, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus, you know, Jesus, Jesus is love. You know, God, God is love and Jesus loves you. And, I, and so he was sitting down on my couch and I, I pulled out John chapter eight, you know, um, verse 12, I believe all, all the way through to the end of the chapter. And I think that's probably one of the most, vicious um some of the most harsh words that Jesus ever spoke to to uh his um to his enemies I, I suppose you would say you know it, it was talk about escalating it was a, it was a it was an it was an argument it was a discussion that escalated right to the point where they were they were just they literally wanted to kill him and he had to run he had to he just had to slip out of their he had to go away or else they would have they would have crucified him right there you know telling them that they don't know god telling them that they they um that they're murderers uh telling them that they're uh um sons of the devil um it just goes on and on and on and on and it's like so i read that portion of scripture and then i said to this guy at my place i said okay so after you after you read this and how almost cruel Jesus was to these people, harsh he was to these people, according to John chapter 8. I said, now close your eyes. Can you imagine these, can you imagine these Pharisees and these people just holding hands just now and just singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's like ridiculous, especially when you read some of these portions uh, where Jesus is just absolutely fierce in his word, you know, in his rebukes and, and uh, yeah, it's just, he would definitely, I, I think that Jesus himself would be kicked out of church today, probably almost every church, if not, yeah, every church, almost every church, he'd be kicked out for being you know, hateful or this or that or whatever else. Perfectly confident says, so Jeremiah appears to say that we are not in a new covenant yet. I don't get that from, from Jeremiah. I get that we are in the light of uh, Acts chapter 2. Um, I'm not sure what. I'm just looking it over right now. I'm not sure what part of it would be what verse or what portion part of verse or whatever that would that would lead people to believe that we're not yeah not sure if someone says that jeremiah 31 proves that we are not in the new covenant yet i would ask them how do you figure <laughs> where where do you see that it's not that we're not in the new covenant that's what i would ask them yeah, um, Fearfully Confident says, I find it funny that Christians say we can't follow the law, yet at the same time they quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, exactly. 
I would take, yeah, and that's a very good point. I can do all things through Christ ex- who, who strengthens me, except what he wants me to do, except what God the Father wants me to do, except, except, <laughs> except, except the most important thing. You know, they will do, they will do and say and willfully blind themselves to anything and everything to support their failing doctrine. Uh, I would add to that, uh, talk about the gospel of John. Well, since, you know, most Christians are like hundred percent gospel of John anyway, I would use that. I would say when the gospel of John, again, if my memory serves me correctly, it is John 14 verse 12, when Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will, you will do what I've been doing and even greater things than these. And you know, like people say, well, only Jesus can, you know, only Je- Jesus was the only one who could, who could obey all the commands. Um, he said, if you believe in him, you can do everything he did, he, he, he's doing or has done, and even greater. So, <laughs> I would say to these antinomians, I would, I would say, just you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know, like, you know, my, my uh, grandmother would use that. Uh, she would say that from time to time. Pious Crusader. Uh, says wanted to ask about um, Hosea five thirteen through sixteen. I wanted to see if this is what Jesus wanted to do, or was it a prophecy that is yet to happen at an, at at the time? Uh, let's take a look at it. Hosea chapter five. Um, Computer's getting slow here again. Um, just hold that thought. The computer is slow here. And I'm just waiting for it to load. So um, my apologies. It's beyond my control. Hosea. Come on, Hosea. Hosea. Hmm. Oh, here we are. Hosea chapter 5. Verses 13 through 16. I don't have verse 16 here. There's no, there's no verse 16. Um, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sore, Ephraim then went to Assyria and sent word to King Yareb, uh, but he was he is unable to heal you or cure you of your your sore, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. Yes, I yes I will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away, and there will be no one to rescue. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their distress, they will search for me. Um, I, I, at this point, without getting into a deep study on this uh, passage, I do not see where Yeshua is in this. Um, I see this as God speaking. Um, so I, I just don't see that.
Your question, I wanted to see if this is what Jesus wanted to do. You mean tear them to pieces? Like a lion? Um, yeah, I, I do not clearly see that in there, uh, Pious Crusader. Thank you for asking. Billy over there on TikTok says, So would tolerance in our situation be the law of Christ? Love God, love neighbor. Okay, so the law of Christ, the law of Messiah, the word Christ means Messiah, the law of the Messiah is the Torah. Uh, and the Torah does, um, does command tolerance to a certain degree. So, I don't believe we should be like doormats, um, but there is some tolerance that is commanded in the in the Torah. Oh, excuse me, I said tolerance, torrents, uh, and Billy corrected himself saying tor Torah. Okay, so so would Torah in our situation be the law of Christ? Yeah. Okay, so I actually I actually answered that. Yes, love God, love neighbor. Uh, yeah. So Torah in our situation would be the law of Christ because the law of Christ. See, even even Christ Himself doesn't have the authority to make His own Torah. You know, He can't. Um, you know, so he he taught the Torah of of His Father. Corey says, I believe it is sad that pagans know more about God than Christians do. Sometimes that's right. And sometimes pagans are better, you know, they behave more in a, in a Torah way than Christians do. <laughs> I can do all things except Torah. Yep. That's, that's the Christian mantra right there. Hebrew Messianic Israel, so my pre, mid, or end. Actually, I've made lots of videos on this. Um, if you're talking about rapture, definitely end. I used to be pre. I used to be pre. I was taught. Actually, I was. I had. I have. Actually, I have some formal education in 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 uh, in Bible prophecy. And so I was taught to be pre, but again, just like how Corey said, the more I read the Bible for myself, the more I understood it's not pre, it's end. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Good to see you. Dead Sea Scrolls says that we don't have to teach anyone anymore. Um, okay, so... The idea that we don't have to teach anyone anymore. I would break that down into a little bit. I would I would dissect that a little bit more because it says no one shall teach his brother saying, know the Lord. Uh, so, I mean, in my experience with God, um, I can say that no one taught me 
I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of things from you guys. Uh, Oni, I learned some stuff from you. I learned some stuff from lots of other people here and in, you know, all, all around. However, in regards to knowing the Lord, I would not say that anybody actually taught me to know the Lord because when I had that experience, I keep on referring to it in, in the, uh, the last, it was August um, of 1992 when I had an experience that I would consider if there was anything to be called a born again experience, it would have been that experience. That would have been it for me. Um, when the spirit of God came into me and it was, it was just so real, so tangible, even to this day. And I knew him like I've never known before. I've read this, I've read the gospels many, many times over, like I've read about it many times before I had that experience. Uh, it's like the way I looked at it, like this is the way I look at it. It's like you can read about, take any famous person. Um, Oh, I don't know. Let's just say the Queen of England. <laughs> Let's just say Queen Queen Elizabeth. You can read about her. You can go to the you can go to the library and re read like you know fifty books about her. Um, but if she comes and knocks on your door and comes and sits down and and, and really takes up resonance with you, then you can say you know her. Uh, it's like a completely different thing. So this is this is what it's like. This is what I understand that to mean. It's like. You can't really teach someone to know the Lord in that way. They have to. They have to have that experience with God themselves. Uh, and so that's why I think Jeremiah thirty-one is talking about. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're, you know, if someone's really born again, or if someone really has, let's just say I, uh, Jeremiah thirty-one is fulfilled. In any given person, does that mean that they know everything now that they can't be taught? No, I don't think so. I think that there's lots to learn always on a different level. Not not so much knowing the Lord personally, but rather knowing, like for example, some of the stuff that uh, we like all the stuff we talk about, like you know, like the stuff that I just mentioned there earlier about Shema or Sh Shemot Rabbah, uh, chapter five, verse nine. All these things, I don't think uh, God would download all of that kind of knowledge through the New Testament, but rather through the New Testament experience, but rather the knowledge of Him to really know Him as a person, rather as just as opposed to just knowing information, just having you know head knowledge, but rather real experiential knowledge. That's how I look at it. Um, I understand there are different interpretations. Different people have different interpretations of that. So, <laughs> David, yeah. So as uh, or as Meatloaf saying, I can do anything for love, but I won't do that. Yeah, I can do anything. God, I mean, Christ will just you know, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. But nope. Not obey the commands of the Father, that's for sure. Shine, uh, Amos 5, 18 to 27. I think this is a, a portion we go through quite often. All right. 
this is this is taking some time. Sorry, but my computer is just so slow here right now. So, um, Shine, if you can if you can be more specific on maybe a, a verse or a question about a specific verse or quoting a verse, uh, that would help me out tremendously. Just that this is what I see right now. Just so you guys, I'm, I'm just a blank screen because I'm waiting for the page to load. Um. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys. Uh, so Ania says, I was born in 1991 and born again in 2047. All right. Vinny says, some are so brainwashed commenting on Psalm 119 that David would not have been speaking about Moses' law the law of death. Uh, that's a new, that's a new one for me. So delusional. Yeah. The, the Moses law, the law of death. Yeah. It's only a law of death. If you break it, actually, it's not a law of death. It's actually, if you break it, you're, you know, you'll get the curse. Bruno, Bruno, our beloved Bruno, the JW, says uh, being born again is only for the anointed 144,000. Bruno, you should check out the video that we did last night, uh, Dr. Jason Staples. We were talking about the 144,000. Billy says, born in 1972, went to church almost every Sunday of my life, but have only recently started seeking God instead of passively hearing his word. That's amazing, Billy. I hear it so often. People go to church like all their life. They've been going to church for like 30 years or whatever or more. And uh, then, you know, God gets a hold of them. And again, they read the Bible for themselves. And, uh, and, and they really come into the truth. There are some people I wish, you know, wish uh, that that would be the case. Bruno says 144,000 are are the ones that rule in heaven. Again, Bruno, check out our video last night speaking of the 144,000 where Dr. Jason Staples talks about it. He is the assistant professor at North Carolina University and um You spoke about that. Hawks says, Shalom. Shalom, Hawks. Good to see you. Bruno says, I don't need to know what Jason Staple says. Huh. Well, um, see, I, I would highly recommend that you, uh, you, you don't be you know, see, this is, this is the thing. We need to be humble enough to listen to people's points of view. Okay. Um, I don't know of anybody who knows everything. And uh, Bruno, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, uh, you'll probably come to the conclusion that you don't know everything. Therefore, there could be something that you don't know about the 144,000 that could completely change, be a game changer. 
Okay. But I know that because of people's pride and arrogance, they uh, are too afraid to even consider the fact that they might be wrong. Um, but I would highly recommend you humble yourself and listen. And if, if uh, Dr. Staples said anything that is uh, wrong, prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. To ignore another man who teaches the same word that you claim to believe, to just completely ignore him without a good reason, without a good argument, is being willfully ignorant. Willfully ignorant. And that's not the way to go. You're not going to be, you're not going to go on the good, right path doing uh, with that kind of attitude. Bruno says universities are for worldly people. Do you, do you, uh, uh, do you know that you're the people that you're believing that tell you about the 144,000 that you believe are people who went to university? Are you aware of that? Are you aware that some of these people, that's where they got their that information from? And of course, I certainly would not say that you know, there's a lot of trash taught in university today, different universities. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure even Dr. Staples would agree with that. However, um, the point of the matter is this. I mean, you're talking, you know, some people who have studied it a lot more than others um, might have a nugget of gold truth in there that you need to know. Bibi says, Shabbat Shalom. And everyone here, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Onia asks a very good question. Bruno says, Bruno, do you need to know what Christopher Enoch says? If not, why are you here? Right. What's your purpose of being here? I mean, I hope that we're here to learn from each other, to talk about, to enjoy one another's fellowship. What's your purpose of being here? Bruno says, you might be wrong, though. I didn't even say anything about the 144,000. I just said, listen, just check out what this other person said about it. Okay? I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. What am I wrong about? What am I wrong about, Bruno? I would like to know. If I'm wrong about something, I want to be the first one to know. <laughs> Great Inception says, Bruno, you're a funny guy. Yeah, Bruno. Bruno, our beloved Bruno. Every once in a while we see Bruno pops up, you know, crawls out of the. Yeah. <laughs> this person's never wrong. Hey, I'm, like I say, I'm always learning there, one John. And um, we're all learning. I always, I always say we should come to the table saying I might be wrong. I always say that. And, and I, I've said that many times myself. I might be wrong. If I am, show me. If I'm not, take it for what it is. Mr. and Mrs. Torah, Mrs. and Mrs. Torah says, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Mr. and Mrs. Torah. <laughs> I had his TikToks into the Bible. <laughs> yeah. You guys are fun.
Bruno says, Christopher is never wrong, or Staples is never wrong, right? Hey, again, Bruno. And same for you, too, right? Same for you, too, Bruno. Make sure you put Bruno in there, too, okay? Make sure you put Bruno in there, too. Make sure you do that. You owe me one, Bruno. Put that in there, too. And be humble enough to admit that we could be wrong. You could be wrong. I could be wrong. Staples could be wrong. But the question is, are we? And if we are, prove it. Do you have the capacity? Do you have the capacity to do that? Are you able to do that? You're wrong about being wrong. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, we don't talk about Bruno. Well, Bruno is our per perfect Bruno. Bruno is our perfect Bruno. Okay, Bruno too. Oh, you just messed me up, Bruno. I, I just said Bruno is our perfect Bruno. See, I might be wrong. <laughs> Great deception. Um, rule number one, I'm never wrong. If I am, see, see rule number one. Billy, Friday night debate with Bruno. Well, you know, I don't know. Bruno, he'll just, you know, Bruno's never wrong. So what what chance do I have? I don't know. Um, okay, see what else we have here. If I've missed any of your questions, I apologize. Um, so O'Neill says, let's have Sheepdog and Bruno and Wade together. Just lock, you know. You're not coming out of this room until you until all agree on everything. Wade and Bruno, Wade and Bruno. Wade and Bruno were making for a good popcorn night, yeah. Which, car, which calendar are you marking uh, Shavuot at, Christopher? I'm just doing the, um, the uh, traditional Jewish calendar. Um, start like Shavuot being tonight, starting tonight, this evening until tomorrow evening. Hebrew says uh, the sheep still need worship and prayer service as well as communion. It's more than intellectual. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, also practical classes for the sheep uh, to learn skills. Yes, absolutely. All right, guys. So um, that'll wrap it up for, for today. Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Torres says you need to answer my question too. I'm not sure if that's directed to me. Again, I'm not, I don't know if it's directed to me unless there's an at Christopher in there. Um, and I didn't see it. If it is directed for me, I didn't see it. Um, Mr. Okay, so this is a question I believe it's probably referring to Shavuot tomorrow. I see different calendar. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, different people with different calendars, I'm not going to make a big deal of it, you know. So, um as far as uh, as far as I'm concerned right now, uh Shavuot would be tonight going into tomorrow night. 
Another question, is the Targum scripture a good thing to read? You know, any any information, any kind of, you know, reading material is a good thing to read. I'm not saying that it's all 100% perfect. Um, you got to take everything with a grain of salt. So I certainly wouldn't advise against reading it. All right, guys. So thank you, Christopher. This was time well spent. Have a great rest of your day and you too as well. Tammy, thank you very much. Thank you for your questions and for your fellowship. Mr. and Mrs. Torres says, thank you. Thank you. All right. So um, for those of you who may be new, we do this every day by the grace of God. Um, sometimes like we had at the very beginning of this live stream, we have some technical difficulties, but I think uh, most of you know me well enough to know I'll do whatever I can possibly do to get on if it's you know if it's at all possible. Um, I'll try to make it work, even if it doesn't seem like it is working. Uh, so what we usually do is Sunday through Friday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, and every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And so what we usually do uh if you're not following or if you're not subscribed please do so and otherwise um we will be back lord willing by the grace of god tomorrow evening 7 p.m eastern and we're going to continue reading our um chronological reading of the tanakh after we're done that, we're going to go through to uh, the Apocrypha. Um, and by the way, sometime in the next, I'm not sure exactly what day it will be, but um, Onia from Dead Sea Scrolls Religion will be on, we're, we're thinking July, approximately mid-July, uh, to uh, bless us with his version of the Book of Esther. So um, lo really looking forward to that. All right, so tomorrow evening, we'll be reading Isaiah chapter 64 through 66 and 2 Kings 20 to 21. All right, so um, perhaps 2 Chronicles 32 to 33 as well to compare the two. We'll see how it goes. But that's, uh, that's where we're at, for those of you who don't know. All right, so... Um, thanks again, everybody. Thanks for your fellowship. I enjoy the fellowship and uh, blessings multiplied to you guys. Great Deception says, thank you, brother. Much love and blessings to you all. Thank you very much as well. Great Deception. Blessings multiplied back to you. Onia says, turns out Enoch calendar is the same day for Shavuot by coincidence. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I need to make a schedule. I don't have a, I don't really have a schedule in print right now, Hebrew Messianic, but yeah, that's a good idea. I should put, I should make a schedule and put that on my blog, what we're doing each, each day. Very good idea. One John says, thanks, Christopher, and blessings. Thank you very much. Blessings multiplied back to you. 
Great Inception says, Blow, I'll be blowing the shofar again tonight. Amen. Oh, Sounds good. Blow it loud enough, I'll probably hear you. Um, all right. Thanks again, guys. Blessings multiplied to you guys. Onia says, do Google Docs schedule. Easy to change it. All right. Thank you for the recommendation. Google Docs schedule. All right. Okay. Once again, thanks again for joining us. Thanks again for your fellowship and uh, all your questions and comments. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. You guys are world changers. As always, I'll see you again tomorrow night, Lord willing. By the grace of God, 7 p.m. Eastern. Until then, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you. Give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. See you tomorrow night.